Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. As the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Houlihan, meets the three leaders of the coalition tonight, the Taoiseach urges the public to continue to be responsible in the face of the Omicron variant. I think we've learned a lot in the last nearly two years of this pandemic. I think we need people, you know, have a, a high degree of common sense. Uh, and I think we need to trust people as well also. A Simon Community's Homeless Prevention Bill has been brought forward by the opposition, which they say will help curb the rise of homelessness this Christmas. And later, a new road safety strategy seeks to halve deaths on Irish roads by 2030, supported by the Department for Transport, the Road Safety Authority and on Garda Síochána. We do believe this is ambitious, but we do believe it is also achievable. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Houlihan has met the three leaders of the coalition tonight ahead of this week's announcement on the ramping up of the vaccine rollout. Well, speaking today, Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization said that it was time for countries to properly prepare ahead of the Omicron wave. We need to be ready. We need to be ready to deal with what is likely to happen, which is a large wave of cases which may or may not be more or less severe. Governments need to support communities in doing that by putting in place layered measures that support communities in doing that uh, and getting the health system ready. We're relying on health workers and the health system that have been weakened by this response. And Dr Tedros's concern is that we don't be complacent. We don't wait for it to be overwhelmed by a wave of cases. We have some time to get better prepared uh, and to make sure our systems are able to cope. Well, joining me to discuss what Ireland's preparation strategy will entail is Fianna Fáil TD Paul McAuliffe, political correspondent for thejournal.ie Christina Finn and Sinn Féin TD Owen O'Brien. Uh, but first I'd like to speak to Gerald Barry, who's Assistant Professor of Virology in UCD. Um, you're very welcome along to the programme, Ger Gerald. Um, the World Health Organisation, we heard from Dr Mike Ryan there, uh, warning about this situation, warning about the new coronavirus variant and saying that Omicron is spreading at an unprecedented rate. Um, if there's a race now between the booster and the variant, which is, is likely to win out given that pace of infection we're seeing? Uh, that is not a race I would like to run, to be quite honest, because it, it, Omicron would kick the booster's arse, to be honest. To put it bluntly, if you put the two up against each other, the booster campaign is not going to be able to keep pace with this variant um, on its own. Like, we need to support it massively. Boosters are going to help, but they're not the be-all and end-all. The rollout won't be quick enough. Um, and the reality of it is that this variant 
is uh, much fitter than anything we've seen, much more transmissible. Um, you're five times more likely to have a breakthrough infection with this variant. Uh, the neutralization ability of antibodies is reduced against this variant. Um, so there's multiple reasons why we need to be concerned about this and hoping that our booster campaign um, will be able to stop it um, is an unrealistic hope, I think, unfortunately, at, at this current rate. In the UK at the moment, cases are doubling, or sorry, in England, I should say, cases are doubling every two days. They're running estimated R number of about 5.5 currently. Um, and the reality is that that is probably on the way here as well. Um, we have slightly more restrictive measures in place, so it may not be quite as dramatic, but I don't think we can, uh, I suppose, take the chance okay. in the hope that the, that the booster campaign is going to be able to stop this. We need to do more than just rely on that. Okay, because that all sounds a little bit hopeless. Um, so in your opinion, what needs to be done then? Because we know how much the government is putting this emphasis on the booster campaign. The Taoiseach saying today, all hands on deck, we're going to get this rolled out. We're encouraging everyone to take up on it. Um, so mm. what in addition needs to happen now? Well, I think the first thing to say is everyone really should get the booster. You know, it does drive up protection an awful lot more than just two shots. Uh, of, of Pfizer or, or, or whatever two shots you've had, or even a single shot of Johnson & Johnson, um, getting the booster is a really good thing and it does boost protection. Um, but the reality is that even with three shots, the protection against the Omicron variant um, is not as good as, for example, uh, three shots or even two shots against the Delta variant. And we know what happened in that situation when Delta came into the country. So we need to realize that to stop this variant, we need to get overall case numbers down. We need to reduce the level of transmission in the country uh, dramatically from the levels that we're at currently. Um, and, and that has to be a whole host of different layers of mitigation put in place and aggressively approached in advance of any kind of wave that is coming. Because I think regardless of whether people think this is going to be a milder infection or not, the reality that we're seeing in other countries is that when this variant comes in, it displaces Delta and it drives up mm. case numbers dramatically. So we need to be prepared for that and, and install multiple layers of mitigation aggressively okay. in anticipation uh, of this variant. And coming. when you say, Gerald, multiple layers of mitigation, wh what are you talking about? Well, it, it's everything that we can do that we know that stops any variant. It's um, reducing transmission opportunities. So identifying where transmission is happening mostly and focusing on those areas to stop those transmissions occurring. It's, for example, supporting schools to reduce transmission events um, in young kids where we know cases are happening in a, in a relatively high level compared to other um, age cohorts in the population. It's about targeting places like restaurants and bars where people are congregating and supporting those places to increase their ventilation, increase their ability to contact trace, informing people about how this virus moves through the air, uh, how close contact is a really big factor and how ventilation is a really big factor and reducing or increasing ventilation and reducing close contact are key ways to um, reduce transmission. And unfortunately, still, um, we're not really supporting places and educating places about how to do those things properly, you know, almost two years into this. And unless we do that, 
And unless we do that very aggressively and we properly inspect locations to make sure that they're following the guidelines and we properly implement things like contact tracing in all areas of society and we properly um, implement, for example, antigen testing in a mass scale, um, then we're really going to struggle against this new variant. You know, we already see that our PCR testing is, is relatively overwhelmed. We're not testing enough people in the country currently. So we don't actually really know how many cases we have in the country currently. We need to ramp up antigen testing massively. Um, I think that should be encouraged in a much more dramatic way and a much more progressive uh, promotion type way rather than um, using it in a restrictive manner in very isolated um, and uh, restricted and ways. We, we so there's know, lots of different things we could still be doing. And we know, Gerald, that um, antigen testing has been introduced in, in schools as one of the mitigation measures there. And also um, the HEPA filters, finally, the government seems to have taken that on board and there's funding um, for them. But one thing around schools is that there, there was talk, or at least was being put out there in some quarters, that uh, closing schools early might be a good idea before Christmas is quickly shut down by the Department for Education. And what do you think of that idea? I think it's a very sensible approach. I mean, Omicron is probably going to make up about 50% of our cases in the next week or so. We know, as I said, that Omicron will spread more efficiently than Delta. And already with Delta, we're seeing high rates of cases, particularly in primary school children. And those children, um, without knowing it probably most of the time, are going to bring those cases back into the home. And so if you drop Omicron into that situation, then you're going to get more cases. And so I don't see any reason, any strong argument to justify why you wouldn't um, protect that population, which, remember, is unvaccinated and a lot of them unmasked, um, by reducing the, the school year by three, two and a half to three days next week. And actually what you'll do then is create a buffer of about a week before Christmas, which we know is a, is a, an, a time when people come together and gather. We know historically from last year that that's when a lot of transmission events happen. So by creating that buffer, if there are infections in those children, by identifying symptomatic children, or using antigen testing, you could identify those infected children in advance of that Christmas period. Whereas if you allow transmissions to occur next week, which will happen, unfortunately, um, you're going to potentially miss cases, you're going to lead to further transmission chains um, that are not going to be identified before that multi-generational congregation over the Christmas period. So I, I struggle to come up with a strong argument against the idea of closing schools early on, uh, you know, on Friday, for example. Of course, this is all, um, this is all very last ditch if it is to happen. Um, but thank you for your views on that. Just to say, Claire, like, I mean, isn't that the story of an awful lot of the things that are happening at the moment? How many things have we looked at over the last number of months that are last ditch or going back on, on mistakes that were made previously? So, you know, like ventilation is a classic example of it. Only this week, or, or late last week, they brought in funding for HEPA filtration that should have been brought in months ago. You know, there's so many examples of that recently, unfortunately. Um, and while, yes, it might be a last-ditch thing, if it's the right thing to do, then it's still the right thing to do. All right, Gerald Barry, thank you for your views on that. And uh, Gerald Barry really echoing what has been said by Dr Mike Ryan and the WHO today, that you need to act fast, act quickly around this. Um, with that in mind, we do have NEPIT meeting on Thursday, Christina. Um, and 
the CMO met with the three party leaders um, this evening. Any update on, on what's come of that meeting? Um, the three leaders met with uh, the CMO and other members of NEF this evening. I think it finished up only a short time ago, about 20 to 10. So it was described sort of as a constructive discussion about the Omicron variant and where we're at at the moment with this. Um, speaking to sources, they said it was rather calm mood. They didn't feel there was, it was more of an update rather than any key decisions being made. And I think it's important to note that the Taoiseach is going to Brussels um, for an EU council meeting tomorrow. So I think there was somewhat of a mood that given perhaps the drama that happened with the Neffet letter previously being leaked out after their meeting on Thursday, that um, you know ministers don't want to be in that position again. They want to maybe tease out, I think is what the Taoiseach said this evening, um, where we are with that to ensure that perhaps they might see what the mood music is from Neffet before the end of the week. Yeah, because um, I, I, are there decisions to be made on Thursday? I mean, the government very much, it, it's, it seems that the hope is that there won't be more restrictions. Yeah. Then we are hearing calls, um, and we heard it again there from Gerald Barry saying, you know, close the schools on Friday. This makes sense. We've got this... Omicron wave coming at us and the adequate mitigation measures aren't in place so we need to do something fast. Well I, I think we've been here before time and time again where we think that we're not going to be heading into any more restrictions. We're doing well in terms of hospitalizations, uh, ICU numbers. Yes case numbers are relatively high but they're staying stable, stable and speaking to people in government this evening and over the last week they really don't know what's going to come from Neffet. They're hopeful that they've done enough, I think, to keep things sort of on an even keel. But at the end of the day, it's going to be Tony Holohan's recommendations that are landed on the lap of the government. And whether they're going to, you know, take issue with some of them, whether they're actually just going to take them on board, um, you know, altogether. We've seen again, they, you know, they tend to take his advice and, mm. and, and just run with it. But at this point, I think... They, there is a feeling that they know that the room has been lost somewhat. People are, you know, we're talking about a booster program, difficulties getting it, people questioning if you're talking about bringing in things like household restrictions. If you're someone that's got the booster, what's the message to that person in terms of the end goal here and what we're, what we're yeah. trying to achieve? I think heading into 2022, we've heard Simon Harris out this week, that seems to be on the mind of a lot of ministers now is they know that the message that's being sold, sold about flattening the curve and hospitalizations and the health service there needs to be a, a, a longer it's term strategy. It's wearing a little, yeah. a little pin. And the big message, Ona Bryn, seems to be one around personal responsibility now. You know, the Taoiseach saying today, people know what to do and they've been here before and there, there is an acceptance that they want to limit their contacts, have a smaller Christmas. And do you think that's fair enough? I don't in the sense that there's far too much emphasis from government on, on personal responsibility, which is really important, and not enough action on the things that the government should have been doing for months. And we heard it in, in, in the interview. I mean, it makes no sense to me that a government would set up expert groups, uh, people eminently qualified on antigen tests, for example, or, or HEPA filters. Uh, uh, they recommend very strong courses of action. Then the government kind of did it for a very long period of time. And even the measures that have been taken, so obviously any extra money for the schools is to be welcome. 
But the problem is that's, that's the, the kind of emergency works grant scheme uh, that they'll have to apply for. It's going to be slow. They're going to have to start deciding, you know, did they fix the roof or get the HEPA filter? Whereas if government had taken its own expert group advice, it would have said, okay, let's just roll out the HEPA filters in the schools because whatever the cost of that, it would be less than the cost of the restrictions and the extra PUP and emergency wage subsidy scheme we have now. Likewise with antigen, I mean, it makes no sense to be posting antigen tests out to kids uh, after they've got symptoms. The schools should have stocks of antigen tests Although available now. it does seem now. pretty quick on the turnaround in but, the post. But, but there's still a couple of days. Like, there is no reason why. I mean, I'm an employer. I employ staff in the Oireachtas. I just went and bought a bunch of antigen tests and I have them there. So if any of my staff have symptoms, as I'm sure Paul or other Oireachtas members uh, have done, they just go and get tested. So if the government is going to say it's about personal responsibility, of course we all have to take personal responsibility. They can't on the one hand expect to sell that message if they're not doing all of the things that their own expert groups have been advising them for quite some time. So there is a level of frustration out there. Uh, and I would just urge the government, because I don't want to be here criticising the government on a public health matter, right? I want to be uh, uh, speaking in unison here. But again, uh, uh, we have to ensure every single mitigation measure is not just provided for, okay. is provided for So any rapidly. advice, any, any you know, government reports are, are not shelved, but actually acted upon. I mean, it's fair enough, isn't it, Paul? Uh, when it comes to the booster um, campaign, you could say, why have we taken so long to get to this point that we're ramping it up this week? And we haven't really got full details of how and when and how quickly it's all going to be ramped up. Yeah, look, I'll come back to the booster programme in a moment, but just reflecting on what Gerald has said there, like, there's a lot of people looking at this meeting tonight with the three-party leaders and Tony Houlihan, and there's a sense of deja vu, vu about all that. And COVID has continued to deliver uncertainty. But what's not uncertain is how we respond to it each time. That is, the public health officials examine the data, they report to governments, yeah, government operations... criticism... Government operationalises it, and then the announcement is made. And that is, is that working? It, it absolutely is. Is we've, it? We, and let me explain why. We've one of the lowest death rates in the whole of the European Union. We've one of the highest vaccination rates. When you look at the Bloomberg Index of uh, freedoms versus restrictions and the incidence of, of COVID, we, uh, we continuously rate top. There's lots of things we're not doing. You know, we're of not course, do, We uh, haven't been doing antigen things. testing. The messaging has been all mixed on that. Um, when you look even about the mitigation measures in schools where cases are blowing up, there has like been everything, a lot done Of course, on that. there are things we could do. But look at how Ireland is. We only introduced new uh, restrictions on hospitality a, a number of weeks ago. I believe we're in a far better place okay. than perhaps places okay. like the Netherlands, places like the UK, places like Austria. Right. Sometimes in Ireland, we look only at ourselves and we don't look at how this is being dealt with across the Union. I think, by and large, the government have treaded a middle road on this. We've not been zero COVID zealots and we have not been let it rip. Right. We, but we have balanced and managed the, the, the pandemic okay. well. OK, look, just on this booster campaign... Um, um, it seems like the government plans on providing plenty of options for people to, to go and, and get um, the booster. But keeping the process as straightforward and clear as possible is a big challenge. So far, the government haven't managed to do that. Yeah, so again, the, 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 the news on the information from NIAC about boosters came on the 4th of, of October. Since then, we've vaccinated over 1.25 million people. Uh, so it's a very significant number of people. As I say, we have had the fastest vaccination programme uh, in, in Europe. We have all the credibility to be, to be able to deliver the booster yeah, programme. Yeah, the queues of people, in fairness, now you cannot say that it hasn't been chaotic in the last couple of the weeks. Queues there are haven't been queues of people going to walk-in clinics and then being turned yeah. away.
The queues are exceeding demand at the moment, and that's because we have a new factor here, which is Omicron, and people are concerned. I think the public are way ahead of, of government on this. They were more concerned. They started to reduce their, their activity long before government told them to. I think the Taoiseach is right. People, people are now know what, what they need to do, and getting the vaccine is something they need to do at this point, and they're, they're, they're queuing up to do it. OK, on, on the schools issue, and um, we heard it reiterated there. Um, we heard it from immunologist Christine uh, Losher earlier today. We've heard it from Gerald Barry now. Um, the idea of closing the schools come Friday. Would Sinn Féin support that? We're not calling for it now. We're going to wait uh, like the government are. Today for what's, Tuesday. We're going to wait for what the public health advice uh, recommends and we'll deal with that then. Right. I mean, uh, so that would be a Thursday meeting? Like, but, but, I, I, how but, quickly could that happen? OK, but let's be very clear. Uh, neither yourself, myself or Paul should be announcing new public health measures no. here on television. It doesn't help anybody. It just creates confusion and uncertainty. And we've had far too much of that. At this stage, what we're saying is we need to maximise the use of all of the mitigation measures possible. Clearly, if Neffet have new public health advice uh, uh, to government in opposition Friday, we'll have to deal with that and respond to that at, at that point in time. But I'm not going to cause any more confusion by making calls for stuff when I'm not qualified to make that call. But also, let me just say on, on the booster campaign, because it's absolutely crucial people get access to the booster as quickly as possible. My understanding is we have 500 less vaccinators in the system now than we had at the height uh, of the vaccination programme. Uh, and while obviously I welcome the fact that the Taoiseach's position has changed, last week blaming people for not turning up to appointments when very clearly there was a systems failure and a software failure. And we all have heard in our constituency offices large numbers of people who got multiple appointments or went to appointments and then others were, were, were cancelled, etc. So again, Let's stop blaming the public uh, for things. Paul is absolutely right. The public are way ahead of government yeah. on this, but government get the infrastructure right so people can the, get access to the, the infrastructure vaccine is a big thing, as they need it. Big infrastructure is a big thing, isn't it, Christina? Um, the talk about HSE staff redeployment and all of those things, they take time to, to put in place, don't they? So yeah. there is pressure on the government to do this and, and do it over Christmas. Yeah, big time. Um, the HSE have a plan that they say they're going to roll out about the acceleration of the booster programme, with the Taoiseach saying that, you know, 40-year-olds uh, and above um, should get a date for when they're, they're going to be called. I've been told that actually over the month of December, they're anxious to get the over 30s brought in also within that cohort. But there's there's big concern, I think, when you see the queues that are already happening. They don't want to open it up to just everyone over 18. And, you know, for the case that maybe it, it would flood the system. I think with, when you're talking about HSE vaccinators, the issue that we had previously when we had the first round of vaccinations was a lot of HSE staff were taken from other very key areas mm. and that had a that had a knock-on effect in terms of the waiting list that we have but the problem is that we just haven't dealt with that problem from from then till now there like the Taoiseach has said there's been a recruitment campaign I think I've seen one or two ads maybe feature on Twitter and Facebook it doesn't seem to be the matter of urgency that I think people people are looking for but yeah I think they've got a big pressure on their on their hands I think heading into Christmas yeah. but there does seem to be the demand there for it and it doesn't <coughs> seem to be people not wanting it. it it does seem to be the issue of the multiple texts the and queues we, and you know calling you know random pharmacies who are on the hse list and then 
them saying actually we're not offering the booster. So there does seem to be a lot of confu confusion. There, there is, there. there certainly is a pressure and a lot, a lot to sort out and it all being brought home, I think, by Dr. Mike Ryan and his comments about countries getting health systems it's in place. It's good care to see announcements tonight uh, about new vaccination centres. I think there's two in Dublin and others across the country being opened next week and I think that will help. Well, anything uh, would be welcomed at this point. My thanks to Christina Finn. Paul McAuliffe and Ona Brin will be staying with me. And after the break, the Simon Community Bill to help curb the rise of homelessness uh, is to come to a vote in the Dáil. So stay with us. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. Tonight, the Dáil debated the Simon Community's Homeless Prevention Bill, which aims to provide targeted intervention to prevent homelessness. Fianna Fáil TD Paul McAuliffe and Sinn Féin TD Ona Brin are still with me. And via Skype, I'd like to welcome Killian Wood, senior business reporter with The Business Post. Um, I'll come to you first, Ona Brin, on this, because uh, Sinn Féin are among the parties. Actually, most of the parties in opposition are supporting it. So what's it about? Um, give us an overview of, of what, what, what do you what it's about and what you hope uh, difference, I suppose, it'll make. Sure. So the Simon communities drafted this bill uh, a number of months ago as part of their Simon Week, and it does a very simple thing. If you're a tenant with a notice to quit and you have to be out by a certain date, and if on that date, through no fault of your own, you haven't been able to secure alternative accommodation, a local authority can certify you as being uh, imminently at risk of homelessness. You get a three-month stay on your notice to quit, and then the local authority has to work with you to try and get you housed as quickly as possible. Uh, thankfully, I have to say the bill was unanimously supported by all parties in the Dáil. I've literally just come from, from the Dáil debate. So what's really important now, particularly because homelessness has been rising significantly month on month for the last four months up, up until October, and the expectation is in November and December, unfortunately that trend will continue. What we need is, is the Minister in particular to take this legislation uh, and the unanimous view of the Dáil and enact it as a matter of urgency. And the best way to do that is, in fact, not to allow the bill passage through the committee with myself and Paul and others, uh, because that will take some time. But for the government to do what they did with the uh, USI uh, uh, student bill that the opposition tabled previously, take the spirit of the bill, introduce it into government legislation early next year, and get this tool, which isn't a silver bullet and isn't going to solve all the problems, but get this very valuable tool on the ground for families as early in the new year as possible, because if the government doesn't do that, homelessness numbers, unfortunately, according to everybody working on the coalface, will continue to rise. So there's no opposition to this? 
No, and as Owen said, uh, I very much acknowledge the work that's been done by the Simon communities on this bill in the same way as, as Owen mentioned, the Union Students of Ireland uh, bill was supported by government. But I agree with Owen. I think uh, we do need to move towards how we can implement it. There is a review of, uh, of notice periods taking place, I think, uh, in March of next year. Um, and I suppose that gives us an opportunity uh, to implement this type of measure. And to be fair, the government haven't been slow about intervening in, in the rental market, perhaps not as far as Owen would, would like us to have gone mostly because of the constitutional restrictions that are there but we, we have intervened and I think we will we, the, the government are not opposed to this bill and they're certainly not opposed okay. to the idea of giving tenants more protection. You mentioned constitutional restrictions so what do you mean by that? Are you talking about you know when it, it's someone else's property when it's that of a private landlord of another individual that you can't have someone staying on in their property <coughs> well, look, that, that opposes constitutional questions there. There's a bigger debate in Ireland, I think, to be had around the right to housing uh, and uh, the, the, the constant uh, battle that government has with the Attorney General advising that people have, have property rights versus the government's ability to, to intervene in the market. So we've seen that, for example, where when we introduced rent freezes, the advice was that we could only do that for a set period period of time. Equally, when we uh, were capping uh, rents, first at 4% and then at 2%, um, there's, a, there's a constant uh, narrative around what we can do my view and the view of many people on the Housing Committee and of the government is that we should have a constitutional amendment that deals with this issue that helps government balance both the property rights and the tenancy rights. But I think we can do a lot more in the meantime as well and we can continue to develop things like the cost rental model so this, uh, that the government this has This change, this amendment um, to the tenancies bill won't require any constitutional questions, any changes around that. I, I, it's I, fairly simple I, to I do. I don't believe it will. I think it can measure. be incorporated into uh, the review of notice periods. That's obviously for, for the minute minister to respond, uh, but my view certainly uh, that I welcome very much the, the, the bill that's been brought forward. Okay, um, Killian uh, Woods, if we could come to you um, on this issue, like what sort of, you know, Simon has said this is, this is an emergency measure that needs to be in place, it's not necessarily one that needs to be in place for a long time, but it is needed right now. Um, what sort of impact is it likely to have? How is, how is it likely to help people um, and take them out of that, that, that threat of homelessness? Yeah, well, I think listening to the Dáil debate today, you hear countless stories of different TDs bringing up how quickly and how it can creep up on people that they fall into this thing, into emergency accommodation or become homeless. And it's that kind of thing that people don't feel they would fall into that category ever or be at risk of homelessness ever, but it can creep up and happen quite quickly, which is what the bill would aim to do, try and flag with local authorities earlier or get the, get the process rolling earlier by helping people avoid emergency accommodation and keep them in rental or find other alternative accommodation. So that, that's what it would mainly do, is just try and help help identify families at risk who mightn't even think they're at risk until the notice comes in and all of a sudden they're faced with not having anywhere to live or struggling to find somewhere in, in the short term, especially around this time of year when just properties don't necessarily come to market. So I think that's what we're looking to do with the, with the Simon bill, that the Simon are looking to do and why it is have cross-party party support. Mm. But I think that's the crucial word you used there, Claire, and we're seeing it come up more and more in, in, crisis, in crisis in the housing market and, I suppose, emergency. And there is provisions in the constitutional, in the constitution, constitutional law experts say that you know in emergency in emergency times of crisis measures can be brought in place to you know in the social good help help our citizens and that's what we're looking at now now there could be people you know watching on saying you know i'm an accidental landlord i didn't want to be in this situation and for whatever reason um they need to have their property back they need to, to sell it or for another reason maybe to rent somewhere bigger 
for whatever reason, they don't want somebody to stay beyond the eviction notice that's been given. So if somebody's in a house for more than a year, I think they've 180 days or um, mm -hmm. uh, 120 days, I think, in order to find somewhere else or, or seek help in that regard. Um, what would you say to that, that, that sort of, that, that, that puts people in a difficult situation too? Well, see, this is what the Simon Bill has done, isn't it? It's brought into the, into the debate and the put in the agenda today that difficult conversation we need to have about the rental market in Ireland. So a lot of government policy in recent years has tried to foster a more professionalised rental market. They want to make it more professional, have more professional landlords involved. We're going to have to go through a pain point, really, in doing that, because I think it's recognised even within government, or they probably wouldn't want to admit it, is that they'll need to strengthen tenants' rights to do that. Long-term rental will only be a solution, really, in, in the Irish market when tenants' rights are strengthened. Now, that's not, I can't necessarily can't necessarily point to other European markets where tenant laws are really, really strong across the board, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be the case in Ireland. And we have a situation where people don't see long-term rentals, and rental is a long-term option for them. Mm -hmm. That's because their tenancy rights aren't as strong enough to keep up with that. So I think that it's put on the agenda that well, we have to have a discussion about tenancy laws and tenancy rights because unfortunately that will butt heads with a lot of landlords, but those landlords are leaving the sector because it just doesn't make sense to them because the laws are not necessarily being designed to cater for them at the okay. moment. They've been designed uh, to cater for uh, large-scale landlords to come in. And right now, Ona Bryn, private landlords are offering a big service for people. Um, is there a fear it will drive out private landlords as we try to grapple with this housing crisis when Housing for All hasn't you know, fully come on stream yet? It's only in, in its formation. Well, first of all, many good landlords are already offering that level of flexibility. Uh, and in fact, if you're a landlord and you're trying to access your property again, it would be much better if you have a structured process where a local authority is giving additional support to try and assist somebody within three months rather than having to go to the high court for a, a court order bailiff's eviction. But there is a bigger problem here, and, and Killian is right. We've lost over 20,000 rental properties from the private rental sector over the last four years, quarter on quarter, as positive equity has returned to the market. Uh, single property landlords, particularly accidental landlords who never wanted to be landlords, are leaving the market. The crazy thing at the moment is, if you have a, a social housing tenant on Hap or Raz in a rental property, uh, and the landlord wants to sell, the local authority is not actually allowed to buy the property. We have the bizarre situation in my own local authority area recently of almost 80 properties, the overwhelming majority of which were HAP or RAS, social housing tenants in the private rental sector, all issued with notice to quit, all evicted. And rather than owner-occupiers buying, you had mid-sized investors buying and then long-term leasing those properties back to the state to other tenants at an even higher price. So part of the solution to that disorderly exit of landlords from the market is for the state to acquire some of those properties, particularly where the social housing tenants in. But we also need the government to come up with a coherent plan as to how we slow down that disorderly exit. I'd raise this with the last minister. He didn't take any action. Uh, and unfortunately, I have yet to see a plan to deal with that. But also crucially, Social housing is way, way beyond behind target. COVID and the closure of building sites over uh, a number of months had, an, had a problem, but there is far too much bureaucracy from the Department of Public Expenditure Reform and the Department of Housing. Only 35% of the social homes to be delivered this year were delivered by the end of the third quarter. Yes, COVID is a factor, but there's an awful lot of other problems in there. So we need more social homes because ultimately what, that's the long-term solution. What do you say to that, Paul McAuliffe? Like COVID, well, not pandemic, pandemic um, notwithstanding, we're at a crisis point now and we're under-delivering. Well, absolutely. And one of the things I want to see is local authorities not having that bureauc level of bureaucracy, 
but actually speeding up. Today in Ballymun, there's an announcement of 100 uh, social housing units on a site that has been empty uh, for, for more than a decade. Um, but it will take five years to construct that, and that is too long. And that's why the Minister is giving local authorities more and additional resources uh, to, try, to try and deliver that. It's why we want AHBs uh, to do that too. But to Killian's point about tenants' rights is important. Like, Renting, a, renting an apartment out, renting several apartments out, is a business like any other business. We regulate other areas of, of commercial activity. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't give tenants rights. It, it's an important part of, of us having uh, a, a healthy rental market. saying all these things. They're in a government party. Like, are and, we going to see change on this? Absolutely. We're here seven, We're 17 months. We've already introduced the most secure uh, uh, tenancy agreement, which is the cost rental agreement. It gives you effectively uh, tenancy for your entire life. Okay, well, um, people will look forward to that then. I hope in the near future. Uh, just on an issue that came to the fore today, um, Killian, because it was before the Housing um, Committee, and that was around vacant homes and what's happening there. And Dublin City Council seemed to be at odds with the number of vacant homes that are maybe available, um, despite this idea that there are plenty there and they could help house people fairly quickly. Yeah, it, it seems to come up every so often this issue of vacant homes, and that there is work in the back, work going on in the background around bringing a vacant home tax. The government have kind of loosely committed to it in housing for all that. They're now gathering the data to see how big an effect it would have and how they would implement a, a vacant home tax. I think it just again every time it comes up, it highlights it's it's a fact that it should be a tax that's already in place. It's a it's a bit it's a bit crazy. We're at this stage where we don't have one. It's like starting not starting a goalkeeper after a week of not having shots on target. You know, we we seem to just not have wrapped our head around how a vacant home tax would just be a useful tool to have for local authorities, for the government, for the state, for keeping homes in, in, in supply, because we've seen large landlords during the pandemic withhold supply from the market for a long space of time. A lot of new, new build apartments mm. blocks have a large amount of vacancy in them. That's because it has been completely legal to leave those vacant. And in doing so, when there's a very limited amount of supply, a, you know, those amount of homes keeping off the market can completely distort the rents in, in an okay. area. Why, why hasn't that been included in the Housing for All plan around taking action on vacant homes? Well, it is, and I suppose our priority... Uh, is it, though? The, uh, the, uh, like, is there a tax? Yeah, absolutely. As, as Killian said, there is an indication of a tax. We're waiting for that for the first, uh, the revaluation of the LPT to be carried out as it is at the moment, and that data will will drive what happens with a tax. Our priority was so there isn't a tax as yet, but no. you may decide on one. Yeah, and that's because our priority was soon? those empty sites uh, where we could deliver the maximum number. And I suppose housing for all in its in its primary sense was about giving local authorities AHBs and for uh, increasing the obligation on developers to provide housing on empty sites. That has started, and as, as I say, there's examples of that. We're, we're now looking at the Oireachtas <coughs> Committee, but also the Minister are looking at how we can deal with dereliction. Creek Honaha is one of the measure, measures announced in Housing for All. Uh, the details of that are being developed by the Department, yeah. and I look I mean, forward to seeing that. I mean, we have discussions paper, papers around it. We had um, that coming out from Fine Gael today, ideas... Uh, proposals, but would, nothing would, concrete. Would, wouldn't it be great if Fine Gael had been in charge of housing uh, in government at some for, point for in the ten years. time? Look, we have tens of thousands of vacant homes right across the country. Uh, and I keep saying allowing homes uh, to be left vacant in a housing crisis is the same as allowing food to be hoarded during a famine. And yes, some of those properties are in fair deal or in probate and we, we can't do anything about those. The last government's plan <clears throat> promised to deliver over 5,000 vacant homes back into active use over five years. They delivered just over 1,000. My problem with the current government's plan is that it has a target of only two and a half thousand vacant homes to be returned to stock 
over the next five years. That makes no sense whatsoever. It is cheaper, it is quicker, it is better for climate action, and it's better for revitalising our urban cities what and town centres. What Dublin City Council were saying <coughs> that like, all these vacant properties aren't necessarily suitable for housing? So some of them, some of them aren't, uh, uh, but given the large volumes of them, uh, 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 the fact that Dublin City Council, I think, have only brought in about 68 vacant homes over the last five years shows there's a problem. However, it's not all on Dublin City Council. No local authority has done this because, in my view, the schemes from central government aren't fit for purpose. But also, I think, and it's probably something Paul and I probably do agree in, is that all local authorities must have targets built into their social and affordable housing targets to maximise the return of vacant properties cheaper, quicker, better for climate action. And I have to say the government's targets in the current government plan are less uh, uh, or more underwhelming than the last government's. And I'm not convinced they're going to, to, to deliver okay. because we heard all of these things before from the last government. We'll judge this government on its actions. Uh, but two and a half thousand vacant homes will return to stock over five years. That's not really a serious target. All right. Um, well, we'll have to see what happens with that. Before we go, Ona Bryn, um, regarding the Christmas sketch uh, involving Gerry Adams in which phrases like Chucky our law um, and they haven't gone away, you know, were used. Um, you said that an apology for the offence cause would be helpful. Do you expect Gerry Adams to make that apology? Look, my view is that the company who's responsible for the card and the video has now withdrawn them from circulation. They've released a statement. That statement acknowledges the hurt that's caused and, and indicated regret. My view at this stage is we can draw a line under it. But what I would ask is all politicians... You did say an apology would be helpful. What, what, Do you think Jerry, uh, Jerry Adams should... The, the, the situation apologize. has moved on, particularly in terms of the actions of, of the company. But what I would ask is all politicians and former politicians be very, very careful about the language we use because even when you don't intend to cause hurt, you can do. So I'm happy to draw the a line under it. Own, the danger I'm, is I'm, the damage I'm, you've done to the pursuit of unity on the island. Uh, and this is the problem. Sinn Féin have so much baggage on this issue that, and you constantly call for a border poll. The reality is, is that other parties, and I would say Fianna Fáil being the primary one, have a, have a, have a view oh, that we want to unite Ireland, but we want to do it by sharing it. And, and unfortunately, for all of the historical reasons, Sinn Féin continue to cause hurt. And, and that, that is unfortunate. I think, I think it's very disappointing on an issue as serious as legacy and trying to heal the hurt of the past that the only thing Paul can do is try and manipulate the issue for narrow party political gain. No, not we at have, all. We have a big job, all of us, all of us. Unity North and has South. been an aspiration of our party have, from the very beginning. No, we, we have, and this is a serious issue, Paul, we have a huge job of work to do uh, to heal the hurt of 30 years of conflict. Uh, 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 and turning it into a party political football in the way you constantly do, I think doesn't help. Work with the rest of us to fix have, these issues uh, uh, and not throw around slogans that mean nothing. We'll to, since he we, came to office, we have to leave it there. My thanks to Ona Bryn and Killian Woods. Paul McAuliffe will be staying with me because coming up after the break, a new strategy strives to cut road deaths in half by 2030. Stay with us. Welcome back. Today, the Department of Transport's new road safety strategy, Vision Zero, was launched in conjunction with the Road Safety Authority. Um, the CEO of the RSA, Sam Wade, said that Vision Zero will be wide-ranging in its approach, all with the aim of cutting road deaths by 50% over the next 10 years.
Part of that is actually delivering, there's 50 high impact actions within the strategy and that's working with communities, with delivery agencies, with Angarda Shikona to deliver those high impact actions. Well, Finfall TV, Paul McAuliffe is still with us and also in studio is Sheena Horgan, CEO of drinkware.ie. Um, Sheena, you know, looking at this, it's really ambitious. You're looking to have road deaths and serious injuries by 50% by 2030. So at the moment, we're averaging at about 144 deaths, I think, on our, on our roads per year. They want to bring that down to 70 uh, by 2030. It, it, it's a phenomenally ambitious strategy, but it, it's imperative. It's just something that we have to do. And I think it's all, as we were even discussing in the break, it's all about behavioural change and what are the kind of behaviours we want to promote and encourage and what can we do around it. I mean, from our point of view at DrinkAware, it's the alcohol and the drink driving aspect that we look at in particular. And I think one area that it gets talked about or gets not talked about, should I say, is that not so much the drink driving on a night out, but the morning after. And that's an area where I think people need more information in order to look at their behaviours in order to address some of those areas. But certainly, I mean, it, it's a very ambitious strategy, as indeed it needs to be and it should be. Okay, so what do you see as being the big challenges in reaching that vision zero? Oh gosh, well, I mean, from alcohol is known as a killer behaviour. So that's obviously the aspect that, that I would come from at DrinkAware. And when we look at those kind of killer behaviours, how do you change that? So what information do people need? So from the perspective of, as I say, the morning after, uh, a night out, if you look at how often, how much we can process drink, how much, it, how long it takes to process a single drink, what is a single standard drink, and how does the body kind of affect, you need to know how much you've been drinking, when it is you stop drinking, and then when is it safe to be back on the roads again. And the reason why I suppose I, I push that, we also talk about never drink and drive, absolutely as an always on message. But the reason why in particular we're talking about that is because we're going into Christmas, we're going into festivities, we're going into people maybe drinking in homes as opposed to in pubs, there's closures, there's restrictions. And when we are in a less restricted, I suppose, home setting, we may be consuming more than we actually realise. And without that knowledge, then how can you safely get into the car the next day? Yeah, and I thought anecdotally, the attitude had hugely changed around that, that people very much say, no, I'm driving tonight, I can't drink, that there is there was more of a growing zero tolerance around it. Yeah, I, well, in fairness, I think there is on a night out, but there's a stat like one in four, the RSA would say, admit to getting into the car the morning after and knowing that they are over the limit. So it's about thinking about that the night before and actually what can I do to make sure that I'm keeping myself and those around me safe. There are also things like designated driver campaigns and, and promotions that happen around that. So the night out is one thing. The morning after, there's about, I think, 20% or one in 10 um, drink driving arrests take place between eight in the morning and two in the afternoon. Okay, so do we need to kind of, I mean, in terms of guard the resourcing around that time and looking specifically around that issue, because we know quite a high percentage of road accidents do involve alcohol. So looking specifically at that next day issue is an important one, isn't it, Paul? It absolutely is. And, and I think there's over 50 um, actions which uh, this report looks at. It is incre uh, incredibly ambitious, but I think the Road Safety Authority has a lot of track records on improving Ireland's uh, um, uh, uh, road safety and reducing the number of deaths on our roads. Um, I, I think we talk about behaviour and, and I think there is no silver bullet, as, mm. as, as Sheena says, but alcohol changes our behaviour. We know that. It reduces your inhibitions and it, may, it makes you take more risky decisions. And that's obviously something that happens both in the evening during consuming the alcohol, but certainly the, the next morning as well. Among, one, uh, among the measures are this online portal for users to upload 
footage of bad driving. Uh, do you think that'll take on? Do you think it will Yeah, be I often think when that? someone's preparing a report and there's 50 actions, there's going to be one that grabs all the attention. This seems to be the one that does. The, the idea is that you would upload dash cam footage uh, to a portal and that then uh, driver behaviour will be called out or that it may lead to some sort of prosecution. I think they have a long way to go uh, to see how, how that could be implemented. Uh, but I like the idea. I like the idea of people being able to be active citizens and to be able to call out uh, bad driver behaviour. Like we still have a lot of restrictions around GDPR, uh, around data protection. We see that in the area of illegal dumping, for example, where we can't take the type of prosecutions that, that we want to. So I think we still have a way to go. And interestingly enough, the CEO of the Road Safety Authority was saying he, he wants to bring forward changes uh, to primary legislation. And I think that, that will be interesting to see. Yeah, one of the things um, they want to look at is increasing sanctions for drink and drug driving. Mm. At the moment, do you think they're, they're just too weak and it's not enough of a deterrent, Sheena? Well, do, do you know, it's interesting. They changed those sanctions in around October, November 2018, which is, is when I took up this job. And I remember distinctly one of the first things I was looking at. And we were inundated with queries and questions from the general public. And it's the general public that we serve and we deal with like hundreds of thousands of interactions every year. And everyone was asking, so what's changed? Is it the laws have changed? Are the restrictions changed? Have the limits changed? It was actually the sanctions that had changed. It had gone up to three months, a three-month ban. Um, and a, a 200 euro fine, depending on what levels you were at. So that caused so much confusion. I think there's an element of simplicity and simple messaging that's required so people understand what it is that's expected of them. Um, whether it needs to be higher or lower, you know, is, is an arguable point that I, I think people better qualified than me should be arguing about. But from my point of view and from our organisation's point of view, it's how do we communicate that message? How do you bring people on that behavioural journey that gets them to behave in a different way? I mean, I think, as you rightly said, the concept of drink driving is very different now than it might have been 10, 20, 30 years ago. But there is, it is still a killer behaviour with regards to alcohol consumption. How do we change that? How do we work together and pull together with a proper set of messaging that actually resonates with the public? All right. Well, there we'll have to leave it uh, for tonight. My thanks to all of our guests, to Sheena uh, and to Paul. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.